Happy New Year, Anithologists. Just wanted to drop a little message on the front of this episode to say this is not a standard Anithology Keanu Copia episode. This is, if you've been following our socials, you'll know, we guested on I Must Break This podcast a few weeks ago, which is a Dolph Lundgren podcast wherein Sean, the host, has been going through all of the films of Dolph Lundgren in the same sort of way that we've done with Arnie, Cruz, Keanu. Not necessarily in chronological order, and I think Sean addresses that at the beginning of the episode. So if you want to go over to Sean's feed and give him the stats for this download, search for I Must Break This Podcast. It's on all your regular podcast places, but I've added the episode onto this as well. Have a listen. Enjoy. There's a couple of good recommendations in this, I think, for the Arnie action fans out there. Um, And if you're a big Dolph or Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, you will have already seen the films that we are discussing. Without further ado, over to I Must Break This Podcast. Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast, the fan podcast taking an in-depth look at the filmography of Dolph Lundgren. Today we're jumping back into the Universal Soldier franchise and looking at the 2012 surrealist nightmare, Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning. In this wild continuation of the Universal Soldier saga, martial arts sensation Scott Atkins joins the fold as John, a lost soul who's after the man who murdered his wife and daughter, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Luke Devereaux. Yet as John digs deeper for the truth, he discovers that not everything is as it seems, and that he's up against not just an army of upgraded soldiers, but another clone of Dolph Lundgren's Andrew Scott, who also has his own sinister agenda. Daddy, there's monsters in the house. Created in a laboratory. Programmed to kill. I noticed we live among them like ghosts. Waiting for the moment when our oppressors shall be forced to kneel before us. The day of reckoning! Betrayed, they seek freedom. Led by the undisputed Universal Soldier. We're all brothers. We're one one. But one man haunted by grief. You don't remember anything, do you? I had a family. Consumed by vengeance. You tell me who he is. If you go looking for Devereaux, he'll find you first. Unleashes the soul of a warrior. <laughs> 
plumber to work. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Scott Adkins, with Dolph Lundgren in the ultimate battle. Hello, soldier. To the end. Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning. There is no end. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me to chat this film today is Ben Hyten and Alex Bolarity from the Arnithology Presents podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah, it's great, Sean. I've been excited about this for, for a while now. Thank you. Well, I, I've been excited about this as well. I mean, technically, I'm jumping a few years ahead in the filmography of Lundgren because, you know, kind of like your show, I like to go in chronological order, really, really examining uh, the, the actor's career. Um, however, the most recent episode, we looked at uh, Regeneration, which was also directed by John Hyams. And when I got in contact with you guys a few months back, you guys said this was the one that you really wanted to chat about. So uh, it it really only made sense. That, that's kind of why I expedited the conversation, to be honest, because not only did I really want to talk with you guys, but I figured since the last episode was Regeneration, it kind of made sense to make the uh, next one Day of Reckoning. Yeah, it worked out great for us because we didn't really want to wait much longer. <laughs> I think the reason that we both went for this one is, bizarrely, just after it came out, I think Alex and I, we live in different cities, but we watched it at the same time. Yeah, we did. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're both fans of all of those 80s, 90s action heroes, Dolph, Jean-Claude, even Steven Seagal to an extent. So I think, you know, we've talked over the years about Arnie, obviously, which is how our podcast started. And I think we both have love for the original uh, Universal Soldier movie. And I'd seen Regeneration. I thought it was quite good. And then I saw Dare Reckoning, and it's a completely different beast. It's unlike any other film in the franchise, I think. So that's why I'm really excited to talk about this one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I, could, I almost didn't believe it when like we were given the invitation and everything. Because uh, when Ben recommended this film to me when it came out, he said, he ba like so many of Ben's recommendations to me are just like, you have to watch this. Like, just don't ask me anything. Watch this. And I tend to trust him, you know, and there's a few over the years where he's done that with, but for it, for it, it just, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but this film feels so much sort of on, on brand. If we have a brand, I mean, our brand is following certain actors uh, across, you know, their careers um, uh, much, much like yourself, Sean. And, um, I, I to to have a film like this where our, our sort of eighties action hero stars are being put into the kind of all the new stuff that has been developed. And yeah. if you want a universal, the Universal Soldier franchise is to for me it, the whole thing, even even the shitty films, they feel like a, a kind of um, a, like a sketch of how uh, action films have changed over the years and what we've come to expect from them. And for me, Day of Reckoning is like is the pinnacle, the the merging of, 
you know, sort of the the martial arts films that we see, you know, from the east and then coming and then and west merging into this kind of high production quality uh, action um, fiesta. I don't know what to say. It's crazy. It's just it's such an insane film. Well, what's really interesting about it is. You know, I, I agree with everything that you guys said. Um, I will say the original Universal Soldier film is such a classic. And it uh, and yeah. I'm not going to repeat myself because I've, you know, echoed this on previous episodes. But the original Universal Soldier film is is really uh, symbolic of that early 90s period. And there's so much about it that is just so amazing. I mean, number one, it took two action stars in their prime. And yeah. pitted them against one another. I can't think of too many other films that did that. With regard to this particular film, Day of Reckoning, it's it's really interesting because when you hear about it, I, I think you know people either really love it or they hate it. And what's what's really mm-hmm. fascinating about it is it almost seems like the film is purposely trying to alienate fans of the original. Yes, because I, it is yes. so completely different from the original. And I will admit, I mean, I'm not going to get to my recommendation, you know, right now, but I will admit when I first saw this film, I was turned off and I really didn't like it because it was, you know, such a different taste and such a different animal than the first, than, you know, than the first universal soldier regeneration. If you take a look at regeneration, regeneration is certainly um, much more brutal than, than the first one. However, it's still, it's still kind of, it's still in the same wheelhouse, if you will. You know what I mean? It's it's still a proper sequel. This film is just completely, you know, on another level, uh, completely out of left field. I mean, it is out there. Yeah, I, I think this film, it, if you haven't seen Regeneration, you wouldn't recognize this as a Universal Soldier movie at all. It bears no resemblance to the original movie. I think if you watch them as a trilogy, like yeah. the first one, Regeneration and Day of Reckoning, I guess it kind of makes sense, but I I do think I don't know anything about John Hyams in particular, but I do think he was sort of tearing up the rule book and saying, you know what, I just want to make the movie I want to make, and exactly. if it means that I've got some brand recognition by tying it to Unisol, so be it. But actually, this is just the film I want to make. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, before we before we really get rolling, I have to ask you guys because I've listened to uh, uh, quite a few episodes of your podcast. Um, Tell us real quick about the ornithology because I mean you you guys essentially do um kind of what I've been doing um with and you guys pick each season you guys pick a new actor and you guys go through that actor's entire filmography uh film by film. So if I'm correct, season 1 you guys focused on Arnold Schwarzenegger, season 2 was Tom Cruise and currently you're at Keanu Reeves, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I, I guess I guess my my number one question there is I mean what has uh, inspired you to pick certain actors for each of these seasons? Is there a inspiration? Pro- is, is there a process? yeah? It's too, too strong a word. Yeah. I mean, Ar- the Arnie the the, the 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 way it started was Alex and I went to university together, and when he invited me around to his flat for the first time, he had three DVDs on his shelf. Uh, <laughs> one was. David um, Blaine's Showman, which I think, I mean, we all had that DVD, right? Yeah. Um, the other was uh, Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe masterpiece, Virtuosity. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and then there was Terminator 2 in this beautiful Steel, doc, uh, Steel Book limited edition release. 
So we got talking about them. It turned out we were both big Arnie fans. Um, Alex showed me a picture of him in his teen years in a, would you call it like a unitard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was rowing at the time. So I, I was like just working out. I was pretty ripped, but yeah, it is doing... just a, row, a rowing li- lycra. That's what it is. Yeah. All right. Okay. But you yeah. were doing the classic Arnie, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, bodybuilder pose. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, fast forward like 15 years and I had been involved in another podcast project that had come to an end. I fancied doing something again and I just put it to Alex. I said, let's go right back to the beginning do all of his films in order. And then once we'd done that, once, I mean, that took about a year or more um, to sort of get up to speed doing them in chronological order. We had a good time. We had a fan base. We wanted to keep going. And I, I, Tom Cruise just came out of nowhere. We, we kind of wanted to do Sigourney Weaver. And then we realized, well, actually Tom Cruise is, is got a really, really good body of work. Um, and that was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed that. And it gave me a, a, a different kind of appreciation for Tom Cruise. When we came to, to settling on Keanu, I think it was really just last year he was having a real cultural moment, uh, you know, with the anticipation for, for cyberpunk, the, the game that's coming out, um, and just lots of memes around him and, and it coming out that he's just a wholesome, good dude. And it just felt like it was the right person to, to maybe do something a bit more popular, maybe less niche than what we've done before. Um, and, of all of the guys that we've looked at, Keanu's the person whose films we actually know the least. Uh, we only really know the big hitters, and it's been really interesting finding all of these small indie films that he's worked on over the years. But that leads me to a question, Sean, because the natural crossover for our two projects is obviously Johnny Mnemonic, because that would be Keanu and Dolph Lundgren in the same movie. But when you contacted us about possibly doing a, a crossover, you didn't mention... Johnny Mnemonic, I don't think you mentioned Street Kings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and and look, and I, I know you can you um, floated out there on your show, but I, I will say it again: if uh, you you guys are willing and you guys um, would like a a third voice on uh, Street Kings, I would love to join you guys. So, um, but uh, but yes, yeah, Street Kings is actually one of my favorite Keanu roles. You know, and I I, I voiced it in an email to you guys, but I'll just I'll kind of echo it again. You know, it's. It's really interesting. I think Keanu Reeves has had a fascinating career as well. Yeah. And if you really think about this, and maybe maybe most of the credit should go to his agent, I don't know. But if you really think about it, he has I mean, we can really chart Keanu Reeves as being as being the action star or actor, if you just want to call it an actor, but we can chart him as uh being the one who has really reset the action genre three times because if you really think about it okay when he did speed back in 1994 95 or whatever that was the film that kind of showed audiences that the action heroes did not need to be the big muscly guys like arnold and sly and so when speed speed pretty much uh set the action genre in a new direction and suddenly guys like uh like arnold and sly were kind of reeling from that a bit and then if you jump down a few years down the line, if you look at The Matrix, when The Matrix came out, that was, I actually watched that one again just a couple of days ago, Matrix completely broke the rules. And so if you look yeah. at the action genre there, you suddenly had a lot of, um, what did they call it, wire foo, you know what I mean? You yeah. suddenly had a lot yeah. of wire work and um, a lot of action movies were kind of using that, that bullet time aspect. And then if you jump down a few more years down the line, uh, you go to John Wick, and once again, Keanu Reeves, 
reset the action genre because what do we have now? We have uh, action movies are kind of trying to ape the uh, the style that we saw in John Wick. You know what I mean? And so it, it's really amazing. I, I guess we can say uh, thank you, Mr. Reeves, for continually uh, you know putting the genre into a uh, a new uh, a new format. I think, he, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Keanu. If you're listening, we love you. Get in touch at the Arnithology. Yeah, but, um, of course. He's, he's just, for me, he's the perennial comeback kid. He's been, you know, um, underestimated since day one. And whenever his career seems to be at its lowest, at lowest ebb, he seems to come back with one of his biggest hits. And those films that you've mentioned uh, are, are exactly it, you know. He became an action hero with speed. He wasn't up to that point. He'd only done Point Break in the action genre before that. Um, he absolutely lifted himself up from from what was becoming a career rut or indecision, at least in the end of the nineties, with The Matrix, which which completely revived his career, and again sort of hit the doldrums again around the end of the twenty tens, and just blew everyone away with with John Wick again. And I don't. Maybe you're right. Maybe he has just got the best agent in the world, but. Um, it's something that we're continuing to chart and, and, you know, by the end of the Keanu Copia, hopefully we'll have some sort of thesis about the genius of Keanu. Yes. Yeah, one of the things that I've learned is, uh, during this, uh, season with Keanu, I think we sort of stumbled upon, upon it. I mean, as I think Ben's credit for picking it out is that we thought that Keanu was, you know, an, an A-list action star, uh, uh, who, had like lulls in his career where he would do independent movies. But having seen some of these other films that just weren't even on my radar, um, I, I realized that we realized that it, through discussion is that he's, he actually is, he, he prefers doing those independent films. Like it seems to be what he wants to do and that he does the bigger films either just because or, or you know, to, for a paycheck or whatever other reason, or he is attracted to the projects genuinely. But it was, it's very strange for me to see it the other way around because that's not the Keanu I knew. And I always made the assumption that he would do it's these, these other films because he wasn't getting the bigger roles or his career was in a lull in some way. I, I sort of saw him a, a bit like a John Travolta, you know, lull in his career until pop fiction came along. But that, that's not the case at all with Keanu. He just seems to be consistently working. And yeah, he, He's done some films that we, you know, we're we're saying are one or two stars. But I'm really excited to get into some of the other movies that I, that I would not have wanted to watch otherwise. And I think that's that's the thing that's propelled me throughout our podcast is first of all Ben's invitation and, and insistence, you know, uh, as a friend and fellow podcaster, say, hey, you know, stretch your horizons, watch these films, even if they're in genres that you don't like, um, and following one particular actor forces forces you to do, to do that and i'm wondering if you found the same thing with with dolph i, I don't know nearly as much about his career uh, as of course y you must do but he's not necessarily an actor that i would have decided to follow albeit for some of the action films that i know he's in um and but that was a large part of our thinking was around like we thought we thought about meryl streep we have people constantly telling us to do uh, Tom Hanks or Sigourney Weaver. And then, you know, we have these other ideas, but we look at their body of work and we say, is it going to be interesting? And, you know, I mentioned Meryl Streep. It's, we just say, well, we don't want to do that because every single episode is going to be, yep, Meryl Streep's great. 
Well done. Yeah, she's brilliant. She was nominated for an Oscar. Well done, Meryl. Yeah. Next Tom, week, Tom same Hanks, thing. Same. That's the same problem with Tom Hanks. And and so it's like we want we wanted to pick people who had bodies of work that are interesting. And I'm interested. I I would also like to know if you're willing to to share, Sean, what your process was in in terms of picking Dolph. Yeah. Well. Um, Everything you guys said, I, I really appreciate. And yeah, I know. And real quick, before I forget, might yeah. I suggest for season four, you guys consider the great <laughs> Kurt Russell. Oh, oh Kurt you're, Russell you are the body of work. You're absolutely <laughs> not the first person to mention no. Kurt Russell. I think he's probably <laughs> the the person most people have suggested. And he's certainly and in the in the running. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he yeah. he big in the eighties, which is important for us because we had yeah. to grow up watching his films. He's done action movie stuff, absolutely iconic action stuff, definitely. Yeah. He's done lots of different genres, and he's still working today. And yeah. he's still uh, he's still pretty good. I I'd like Kurt Russell a lot. I think it's a good call. He's so cool. He's so cool. And it kind of like with uh, you know going back to what you guys said about Street Kings. I think the reason why I've gravitated to Street Kings, and also why I gravitate to uh, someone like Kurt Russell, is in Street Kings in particular, Keanu is just so cool. I mean, he is so badass. I've used this analogy before. <laughs> on the show Seinfeld, there was the episode where um, uh, uh, George had a man crush on Tony, yeah. who was Elaine's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel when I watch Street Kings. I just, you know, when <laughs> and I feel I feel silly admitting this. But no, when, it's great. When Keanu, when Keanu was on screen in Street Kings and he is wearing, I'll never forget this, but when he is wearing that Pantera shirt and he's wearing all these rings and everything. He just looks so cool that I, I feel like George Costanza where I'm like, dude, can I hang out with you? Yeah. Like, can yeah. I, just... I feel pretty much like that about every Keanu film, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anyone who's listening to our latest season is Ben is crushing hard on Keanu, like all the time and not even just Keanu, just his hair, but really his hair more than anything. <laughs> I do. I have a hair envy. Yeah. It's something yeah. that comes with middle age. Yeah. The man doesn't age either. Um, I mean, can we just yeah. say that as well? Like, that's Keanu, a, that's he a does thing, isn't it? Age. Isn't there a, there's yeah. a whole website like Keanu, Immortal Keanu or something like that, isn't there? About tracking how yeah. there's like pictures of these old old pictures of Keanu, like old ye oldie pictures of people that look exactly like Keanu. Have you seen this? Have you come across this? Oh, Sean? like he's a, yeah, like he's a time traveler. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that, Sean? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy bits of it. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. But you know, to to, to answer your question about uh, about Dolph, yeah, yeah, you know, um, he he's been. I mean, I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He has been uh, my favorite since uh, since I was a real little kid. And so when I decided to get into podcasting, I saw that there was a bit of a niche that there was there were movie retrospective review podcasts out there, obviously, but there was not one dedicated to. Um, to Dolph. And I feel like, you know, when you are on this journey and you are going through an actor's entire filmography, I mean, and I've seen these films already before, but when you are going in succession and watching every one of these films in order, kind of like with, uh, with you guys, I imagine you, not only do you appreciate the actor and their, their career and their decisions in this order, but you, you kind of start to understand things, uh, you know, and why they, chose certain roles mm -hmm. you know when you go in order especially as you you know look back upon it nowadays i mean for example i imagine when you guys did um kindergarten cop you know I, when i when i first saw kindergarten cop you know it was a you know cute little uh you could say family film but it's yeah. actually uh kind of oddly violent in some yeah. parts but 
when you watch it, it's just, oh, this is this is Arnold. He's a big teddy bear. But what's fascinating about Kindergarten Cop is, correct me if I'm wrong, I probably should go back through this, but that was his one of his first attempts at comedy. And then I believe what he followed that up with either Total Recall or Terminator 2, if I'm not mistaken. I, so I, he I, went from yeah, I think it's either comedy side. to... He did like he did Twins, which was obviously the big. It was such a huge hit, Twins. That was his big entry into comedy, and and then, yeah, you're right. Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, T two. I mean, it's just it's a really weird spread of things there. But you understand, like, okay, th- this is why he chose to do this film at that moment in time. You know, he wanted yeah. to kind of tap into you know another market, but he also wanted to dip back into the market that he that he knew and that he understood and that he knew was going to sell. And so I think with, with any actor kind of when you go on these journeys, like I said, you understand it and you appreciate it more. I mean, I'll admit right now, I am really not looking forward to uh, covering uh, Dolph Lundgren when he did kindergarten cop two. I'm, I'm just, I'm not looking forward to it. However, going in this order, I can understand why he did that because uh, when he did kindergarten cop two, let's see, that came out in 2016, 2017. He was on a bit of a uh, he was on a bit of a comeback, and while that was a direct to video film, I think around that time he wanted to uh, he wanted to kind of strike while the iron was hot, and so that came in a period in his career where he was just signing on for tons of these small little direct to video projects. But that one in particular had a fairly big uh, marketing push, and for a direct to video release, that right. one was was uh, was was pretty big. And so I think, like I said, when you go back through. And you, you know, watch these films, especially in, you know, in hindsight, when you, when you watch them today, you know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty. So you, you get a, um, I, I guess you get a greater understanding is what I'm trying to say yeah. of as why they picked on certain roles. Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. Like, uh, there's an interesting thing I think might, might seem like a bit of a jump, but it's, I feel like it's a good segue before we get into talking about the movie as well is, um, I've always thought of like there's a few there's one or two maybe three tiers of action stars and you know we have the sort of the planet hollywood group you know you have Arnie Sly and Bruce Willis that you might say at the time of 80s 90s action they they're like they're the pinnacle but then you get your you know um JCVDs you get your Dolphs you get your Chuck Norris you know you get people yeah. like that who uh, like they are doing a lot of director v- video stuff, but kind of uh, nipping at the heels, if you want, of, of these A-listers. And, and case in point, there's a nice, neat little story. Um, and, and like you, Sean, I love the the original Universal Soldier. Like it for me, it is the one of, if not the quintessential action films of the time. It's got everything in it for me. It's got it's got action. It's got that cheese. You know that kind of a bit of melodrama as well. Uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't dip into that kind of thing that it, it descended into with the subsequent films that came out. in like, I think the same year, I think there was two sequels made in 98 uh, with Matt Battaglia. Is that his name? Yeah. And yeah. It, the, it, the, the Canadian made for TV. Right. Sequels. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, awful. Uh, I don't think it pays to even talk about it, but maybe offline I, I've got some, f- there's just funny things to comment on. And it's, I, I watched all of them just in preparation for this, um, just to see if there was anything that stuck in the Unisol universe, you know, anything that was canon. 
but really nothing in the in the these the John Hyam films uh not, nothing really does stick other than from what the original is and there aren't really any characters that cross over at all but i think it does pay to watch the original and then these two uh, and the return is just in many ways the return Terrible. is worse yeah because yeah. the Matt Battaglia films yeah. you can just enjoy them as like oh, some weird x-files episode or something that that's the like well even though the X-Files was great in its own way. It had some pretty awful episodes, um, but it has the same production values as those very early X-Files episodes. Uh, it, it is made for TV, uh, like you said. There's a story about Arnie visiting the Universal Soldier set and um, to, just to visit Jean-Claude and to like have a, a tour of the set. And this private plane arrives like where, near or where they're filming and it's Tom Cruise's jet. It's Tom Cruise's private plane. And the story goes that um, everyone knows this is Tom Cruise's plane arriving. And Arnie comes off and the, uh, comes off the plane. And the reason why it's Arnie is because Arnie's private jet was in the shop. <laughs> it was it was getting repaired. Sure. So Tom sure. Cruise lent him. Yeah, just, oh, so you can borrow mine. It's just like, like borrowing my car. It's insane. And the theory goes, or the, the, the fan theory that I was reading anyway, the guy who's writing the article, he was saying it seemed as though like Arnie was uh, checking out the competition, like because not mm. only just John Claude is visiting, it's Dolph is there too, and it seemed as though Arnie was, yeah, it's the kind of if you watch some of the interviews that he he's he gives, especially uh, like on the Predator, um, yeah, uh, making <laughs> of you you see how competitive Arnie was and how he he was looking out for the people that were what, what that were his competitors, but also there was a camaraderie there. Apparently, they went back to Jean-Claude's trailer after a tour and they ate chicken and pasta. <laughs> but but like, I think, it, I think it's a that's, weird story. Yeah, yeah, but that's really want... interesting because if mm. I think about... So, <laughs> bizarrely, my best friend when I was about 10 years old was also called Alex, different Alex. But we were, were big into Arnie films and I, we're fortunate enough that our parents let us watch all of the 18 certificate. Is this the only um, reason you asked me to come on like the podcast? It's a big reason. Like, it's, it's, cause I'm not going to lie. I just lie. remind you, you just said, Oh, Alex likes Arnie films. Yeah. I get to relive my youth a little bit. Yeah. Great. Thanks man. Yeah. But you know, you, you're watching predator commando, um, you know, all uh, red heat, raw deal, all of them. And you want more of that. And there's only so many Arnie films. So you start looking at the other films that are on the same shelf in, in the video store. Yeah. That's how you find, um, you know, AWOL or Kickboxer. Kickboxer. Or, Kickboxer. Yeah, yeah. Joshua Tree, right? Punisher. So that's how we, no. that's how we, yeah, Punisher, right. So that's how we got into the Jean-Claude Van Damme's, the Steven Seagal's, uh, Mark Dacascos, Dolph Lundgren. Okay. So then when Universal Soldier comes out, it was for us. Like when Heat came out, you know, yeah. like these two are together for yeah. the first time and they're rivals. Like this is going to be a film of these two kicking the shit out of each other. And that was so exciting. And that first film, okay, it's corny, you know, it's cheesy. It's very nineties or whatever. It's so much fun. I mean, it's, it was extraordinarily violent at the time, really. It's a very gory film in a lot of ways, but it's, it's gory with all of the, the fun of that nineties. Uh, yeah. action genre and Dolph Lundgren I have to say is still absolutely amazing in that film his yeah, scene, stunning yeah. his scene in the um in the grocery store when he's renting oh my god 
See, they're everywhere. Yeah. That bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that scene so much. Yeah. And some of the faces he pulls in the final fight as well are great. Oh, my God. When he I, throws the grenade I, and he gets Veronica, he does this kind of fist bump to the air. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. It should be a meme yeah. if it isn't. It should be like some gif. Like, it's insane. He's just like, yeah. Like, he's so happy that he got it. And, oh, it's insane. Well, and, the, and the grocery store scene. Yeah. And in the grocery store scene, you you yeah, you, you said it right, Ben. But you also, you have to remember, he does a pause. Because he goes, see? Yeah. And then there's a pause. Yeah. He kind of holds up his arms. He's all, see? They're everywhere. Right. You know, and, and he, and, the, the and pause is the best Sean, this thing is about the thing. that scene. Sorry to jump ahead, Sean, and, and to jump in. But that's the thing that I enjoyed, um, particularly... Uh, with his performance in uh, in Regeneration. Like, I was waiting for that scene. You talked about it on the episode that you, you did with, with David Ullman. Is that how you say his name? Yes. yes. Um, it was, you both pointed it out, and I, I want to reiterate it. It's I'm waiting for this moment. I'm waiting for this scene because I've seen the original Universal Soldier thing with the, the ears in Vietnam, and he's he's... he's talking into the ears like can you hear me you know it's like there are these cheesy quips that are in they're in it and i do think that regeneration is a universal soldier film uh, i don't think it's too much of a departure i think it's midway in between the original and uh, uh day of reckoning and uh, but if you look at the original day of reckoning yeah they're very different films but i think that regeneration sits in the middle it, it bridges the gap between them and it bridges the gap between the transition that you see the John Devereux, uh, not Luke Devereux, sorry, Luke Devereux character taking that he's going through this evolution that, that it, it does make sense with the films in sequence. You, you see how, how he turns into this kind of universal soldier God in the end, but it, for him to go from the character he is when Dolph is, you know, about to kill these villagers in Vietnam to be, to becoming the the same basically as the Dolph character and becoming Dolph's you know alpha, if you want, it it kind of to me it's sort of it's like Dolph Dolph was always the Universal Soldier if, if that makes sense and he was he's always the psych, psychotic one and that's the th the thread that I see going throughout the whole thing is that there's something in Andrew Scott's genes that make him that he's always going to be this way. There's like a genetic memory. That he's always yeah. going to be this psychotic killer. He's, he's a psychopath, yeah. and that's yeah. the difference. Luke Devereaux has humanity, and it's it's that that drives their rivalry throughout. And that is what's so interesting about Jean Claude's character in Day of Reckoning. I think exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, and I, I was just going to say, yeah. No. This particular film. I mean, I I remember when I first heard about this, and I was kind of in a bit of a disbelief that it was uh, actually going to happen. Right. But. What's interesting is I remember I, I was, uh, you know, following the production. And when you see, I mean, early on, before I even saw the film, when I saw the various production stills that were uh, that were being shopped around, showing what the characters looked like in costume, yeah, it was almost a shock here. And you right. could tell, like, okay, John Hyams, he's going for something different here. Because Jean-Claude Van Damme, he is, you know... This is not the same Luke Devereaux this mm, go around. I definitely. mean, and when I remember when I saw some of these uh, these early photos, Jean Claude has a completely shaved head. Yeah, um, you know, his he's completely bald, and um, the leads in these uh, in these promotional you know production photos, the leads so Dolph and uh, Jean Claude and Scott Atkins, they're all posing with machetes. I'll never forget this, but they all are holding oh, machetes, right. and I'm thinking, 
at the time I was like, okay, this is uh this is this is a different animal. This is gonna have a different taste. And if you look at this one compared to um Universal Soldier Regeneration, as if Universal Soldier Regeneration wasn't brutal enough, this one completely goes off the oh rails in terms of its violence oh and God, brutality. Yeah. I mean there's no is... holding back. No holding and back. And that's yeah, the, that's the big tonal completely... difference between the original Universal Soldier and this one is as violent yeah. as Universal Soldier is, it is predominantly fun. It's it's entertainment along with the violence. I don't think the violence in Day of Reckoning is supposed to be fun. I think it is supposed no. to be ugly and upsetting and yeah. forcing you to almost look away. It's and how we empathize with the, the with John character, Scott Atkins' character. Well, it's very, very acerbic. It's very unsettling. I mean, and if you think about it, whereas Regeneration was a hybrid of action and horror, this one is most definitely leaning more into its horror. Because this film is almost more of a horror film than an action movie. I mean, every time a gun is fired in this movie, the camera rarely shies away from its mm. impact. I mean, every just, headshot Just when the black. kid's getting shot, that's it. Yeah, and as a father now yeah. myself, I'll admit, the, the opening scene is, it's rough. I couldn't watch it's, it. I mean, and from that opening scene... I had to fast forward. I, I saw it when it came out, but I don't know whether it's older age and, you know, having children around in my life. I just couldn't. I just went straight. I knew what was happening, and I said to myself, "I don't have to see this." And I went like fast forward. But what a what a statement of intent! Like right off the bat, you know, it, I feel almost sorry for the poor sap who went looking for a, a cheesy action film and thought, "Oh, I'll give oh my their God. reckoning <laughs> a go," because yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... again, trying to alienate. I think he's trying to alienate fans. Of the original, I wouldn't have, I honestly I wouldn't think have that said that, decision. but you guys are right. I wouldn't have, not, I wouldn't have thought that's the case. But in in a similar way that, like, I, I don't know if this is a really weird like sidetrack, but it felt like that way with Rick and Morty. Like, it seemed like Justin Roiland, like even in the like third season, they were already doing episodes that were like, oh yeah, you want you want something funny? Let's do something, and they just came out with Pickle Rick, and it it it's. It was like a fuck you to like, we're not going to do what you think you, what we, you want us to do. We're going to do what we find fun and interesting ended up being fun and interesting. I don't think that's the goal here. I think John Hyams has taken the concept and said, what would it actually be? Like if this was real, if there were, if, if the government was in control of this program and lost control of this program, what would happen? And he nailed well, I think it. The, he, I, think, I think he fucking nailed it. The, the the script actually isn't necessarily that interesting. It's it's no. a pretty standard uh, revenge plot, really, from Scott Adkins' point of view. But from that opening scene onwards, what giant John Hyams does with it is he actually manages to give it a certain amount of emotional resonance because he's he's really using a lot of different tricks to try and immerse you in what Scott Adkins is going through. And I'm never going to say that Scott Adkins is going to win an Oscar for Best Actor or anything. I like him. But I think John Hyams is doing a lot of work for him in this instance. You know, you've got the, the POV sequence right at the beginning, complete with artificial blinks uh, it, as part of the cinematography. Oh, uh, yeah. And then, you know, pushing you up to that point of, surely they're not going to kill the kid. Yep, the kid is the first to go. And then um, it's not actually. At, it's actually, the hardest thing to watch in the whole film is the stroboscopic sequences. Oh my god, there should be a warning. Yeah. 
There should be Definitely. an epilepsy, epilepsy warning or something yeah. at the beginning of this. There isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's let's just say right now, I mean, the fact that uh, that John Hyams made this film the way, you know, the, 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 the reason why I think this film looks and feels and is the way it is, is because I feel like John Hyams had the pull to make the film that he wanted. And I think the reason yeah. for that is because Regeneration was success. So, really? Well, I didn't I, realize I, it gonna, was, yeah. Well, and I mean, in, I'm going to kind of go back to what I said with uh, Regeneration. But yeah. in Regeneration, I feel like John Hyams was the real star in that movie. Because regardless of the violence and themes um, throw fans off, there's no denying that, that John Hyams has his own aesthetic and style which is loud, proud, and on display here. And so, I mean, the story goes, um, John Hyams took over the, uh, the Universal Soldier franchise in 2009 with the sequel, Regeneration. That film turned out to be a modest success in terms of a uh, mm -hmm. video action film. And so Hyams was brought back on board to helm the next installment. And what he did, which, as we keep saying, was a risky gamble, but also slightly ingenious, is he took this in a completely different direction because Hyams now had the weight and pull to do this. And, you know, look, we, we've seen this happen all the time in Hollywood when a director takes a franchise or noted property and he turns it into a success for the studio. Well, then that director is given more creative control with their next film. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the example I always love to cite is look, for example, at the original 1989 Batman compared to 1992's Batman returns, Batman returns is so much more yeah. of a Tim Burton film than than the first one. And I think yeah. a lot of that is because Warner Brothers backed off a bit and they said, okay, you, you've, you've, you've shown us what you can do. It was success. Make the film you want to. And I feel yeah. like that is exactly what Hyams is doing here. No way would Hyams have been able to go this route with Regeneration. Yeah. But because Regeneration was a success that it was, Hyams said, Okay, I'm going. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to add a Lynchian element yeah. and a David Lynchian vibe to this entire franchise. It, it, do you think that's because he? Do you think he knew he wasn't going to get another one? Like, because I don't. There hasn't been one. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, I don't. Eight, eight eight I don't think John Hyams has been able to cash in those chips for anything much in the years since, has he? Have you seen any of his subsequent films? Because I checked a few out on IMDb, and they they don't have very good reviews. He did a uh, he did a dramedy. It's a sports dramedy called All Square that um, is actually a, a a charming little movie, but it's not an action movie, obviously at all. It's it's very you know it's it's a very straightforward, simple little independent um, drama comedy kind of thing. Um, he did another one that's out right now called Alone um, about a, a woman being hunted in the woods by a uh, by a stalker of serial that killers. That sounds like more like his one. film though. The other one sounds like a paycheck. Yeah. This one sounds like his film. I mean, but I mean, the guy is uh, the, the guy is talented and it's very yeah. clear when, you know, when he is shooting a film that he has his own style. And like I said earlier, that he has his own aesthetic, which he loves to uh, display. He did another one with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. That was, yeah, that's the one I was interested in, but not, it sounds terrible. <laughs> it's it's not good. It's not good, to be perfectly honest. And yeah. Jean-Claude is he's barely on screen. I, I think Jean-Claude at about 2008, 2009 kind of started saying, you know, this Hollywood thing is uh, I'm, I'm going to be semi-retired. Because if you look at all of his films, he takes on these supporting roles and 
he doesn't speak a heck of a lot. You almost see that he sense that he doesn't even want to be it's there. Such a shame um, because so all of this stuff happened just after the JCVD movie, which Alex and I have talked about. His performance in that oh is remarkable. God. Like he's, I love that. So film. good in that. that. And film. then he did these couple yeah. of Universal Soldier films. Like good, okay, this is cool. You're doing interesting stuff. And then yeah, it just seems to evaporate. Although I understand. <laughs> You know, Jean-Claude Van Johnson, the show he did on Prime, is supposed to be quite good. It was okay. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people loved it, and there are some things about it that uh, that are fun. I, I personally was not as enamored as some with it because I, I wanted a little bit more out of it, to be perfectly honest. I don't think six episodes – I think it was six episodes, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think that was nearly enough, and I feel like the 30-minute runtime of each episode was not enough to really – you know, to have fun with the concept, but um, I think it was a a valiant effort, and he he definitely has he he has fun with his uh, with with poking fun at his career and his image over the years. But yeah, with with regard to his directed video output in these films, I mean, if you look at his look at the end of Day of Reckoning, I mean, which we're going to be getting to, it is it is out there, it is bizarre. But even though he has this wild look, he doesn't speak yeah. really at all in this no. film, and so you. You have to wonder. It's kind of like Jean Claude. Do you do you even want to be here anymore? Do you even want to be doing this anymore? Like, what is going on? Yeah, it's um, weird. I think it might be. I I mean, I think. So you said you said a, a bit about this on your previous episode, Ed Sean, which I, I really I really enjoyed it. By the way, just like I thought it was a really good analysis of the Unisol franchise as, as well. And um, you and David pulled out some points, uh, especially that there's a. Um, the thing about there being no real protagonist uh, at all in yeah. in uh, regeneration, and it's the it's the exact opposite in 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 their reckoning. It's there's o- only really the protagonist, and that makes Jean Claude's part in it, the way he plays it, much make much more sense. He is this kind. He's he's right. a ghost, and the character in Day of Reckoning makes sense. He's a ghost, and so while we might be disappointed in not seeing more of Jean Claude. It fits with whatever contractual obligations he had or whatever he was saying he wanted to do. Like like you guys pointed out his, I don't know, 15 days of filming or whatever he had contracted. And it was sad for me to to hear that because I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with the analysis. It's probably true. I, I don't know nearly enough about how these things play out to know to know what's, what's really happening. But it made it suddenly made sense of why he was he was doing so little on screen and i don't know whether that how much of that was because jean-claude started to phone it in in his career at the moment and he's just again taking a paycheck or it's john Hyam saying no i want you to play it this way i want you to like basically not be there well, i think part of it is you know, also it's the, the character demands mm-hmm. that you know, obviously oh, as he's Sorry. got older i think he's in his 60s yeah. now um but even on this film in 2012 he was really struggling with the action choreography i think you can see it's not him in some some bits but he, you know scott scott is half wonder. his age um it's ridiculous he, he yeah. just couldn't he couldn't keep up with him and they're doing that thing where they like speed up his punches i don't know what it's called there's a name for it isn't there speed you know speed punching? Where, you know like Speed punching, yeah. <laughs> Speed punching. No, yeah, no. And I you... can't help. I can't help but wonder. Why, whereas you know, Jean Claude's uh, his his look at the final in the, in, in the final fight in the film where he has his head yeah. painted. What is it? The top half of his head is painted white. Yeah, the Bottom yeah. half is painted black. 
And while it is bizarre and it certainly, you know, leaves an impression, I can't help if, you know, one of the big reasons why they Definitely. did that yeah. and they applied that, that makeup to him at the end was to make the sure. use of double Definitely. So Definitely. They bring in this, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's the best reason. I, I think it think even of. looks like, you know, it and, actually looks like a black guy when I was like, I paused it and I think that his double isn't even a, a, a white guy. I think it's a black guy. Maybe that's just because of the shaved head and the angle I was looking at it. It just didn't look like it was. It looked like th his double looked nothing like. They got Michael Jai White back. It, yeah, can you imagine <laughs> it, if it was a Michael Jai White, uh, Michael Jai White thing? Well, Alex, you said something that uh, I mean. Well, let's just get to the protagonist of the film, right? Um, because this particular film had an eight million dollar budget which compared to the $23 million budget of the first one nearly 20 years prior is pretty small. And yeah. so like regeneration, because the budget is so small, I imagine they could not afford the two leads, the, the, the two who essentially get top billing, which is really, which is really odd. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, they're going to be absent for a good majority of this one. And so what, what Hyams did, which, uh, which I loved, which I thought was very wise because in Regeneration, there really wasn't a single protagonist to follow. So with this one, John Hyams said, okay, we need a protagonist. If, if, if the big action guys are only going to be in three scenes, which I counted, I'd be surprised if, uh, if Dolph is in this movie for more than six minutes. Uh, same thing with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Day of Reckoning certainly gave us a protagonist. And what, what's, what's so cool about this, okay, you're in the headspace of John Hyams, who is a compelling and tough lead who can hold their own against guys like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Enter the amazing Scott Atkins. Now, I have to ask you guys, you guys are from England. Yeah. Is Scott Atkins a national <laughs> treasure over there? I want Sadly to... not. No, he isn't. I don't no, think he's any, he I don't think be. he's any yeah. better known over here than he is uh, anywhere else in the world, actually. The only thing I'd say is different is he probably gets a little bit more press when his films come out here because he's a very... Um, zealous advocate for any movie that he puts out um i've always thought scott adkins isn't he's direct he's directing yeah now, yeah isn't he? oh he does all sorts yeah, yeah yeah and he's very well regarded in the industry as well i think him and michael jai white are actually best friends they've done a bunch of movies together um, well, i've always thought scott adkins is what you get if you cross ben affleck with jason statham yeah that's a good one yeah no that that's exactly well i mean and in this one i mean he he makes it excusable the fact that Okay, if if guys like Van Damme and Dolph are going to be largely absent from this movie, it makes it excusable that you're going to have Scott Atkins, a guy like Scott Atkins, take the lead in in a film like this. Uh, yeah, you're you're totally right. Uh, it's it, the, okay. So I'm just going to come right in and say it. There's visually, I wouldn't say that I like. I enjoy watching everything that I see on screen in this movie. <laughs> However, this is this is the kind of I, I I've said it before. It's like for me, this kind of action film says let's take a cheesy nineties uh, concept, early nineties concept action film, and let's say what would what would what would it actually be like? And you see it in Regeneration really clearly. Clearly, there are pregnant pauses where in a nineties film there would have been a quip of some kind like when just right. like when Jean-Claude like bl just blows up uh the 
um, Andre character that um, I don't know the character's name. In, I think he's just the NGU. In, uh, regeneration. He's just called the NGU. Yeah, yeah, he was the NGU, NGU right? Yes, yeah, just the NGU. Yeah. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah, that, he just explodes, and you just there's this pause where he he stops, looks up at the kids that are on some kind of walkway, catwalk uh, in this complex, in this industrial complex, um, and and you should he should say something like, "See you around." Uh, yeah, see you around, or some quip that doesn't even anything that would be, but it doesn't happen. And I think there's lots of moments where that would have happened in '90s films to 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 sell that kind of cartoony action style that we had become accustomed to uh, and a friend of mine said it um when we watched speed um for 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 this for our podcast it it's she just said why can't we make films like this anymore why can't we have the cheesy 90s action film and arguably the only franchise i think that's still trying to do it is the fast and furious yep. movies um, unless I'm wrong, unless there's some, unless there's a lot more that I'm not paying attention to, and and like it might be a lot of director video stuff or director streaming stuff. No, but I think I think Sean, that do you, goes. Do you know what I'm talking I th- about? I actually think that goes back to what Sean was saying earlier about Kindergarten Cop. Is that that was the beginning of the R-rated, you know, violent action hero starting to appeal to the family audience, and now, with the exception of the occasional John Wick, which certainly doesn't do the business that a film like Mission Impossible does, the really successful films have to be aimed at a, at, at a family-appropriate yeah. audience, is what I'm trying to say. So I think yeah. the super-violent action hero is kind of a relic of the past because there isn't as much money anymore. And that's why you find it in, in films like this. And that's why Scott Adkins is not as big as Van Damme and Lundgren were back in the 90s because that market isn't there theatrically anymore. Well, and and something else, I mean, going back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about how this film is so completely different from the original, something else that Hyams is doing here with this one, and again, people are really either going to love or hate. Yeah. If you're a fan of the original, yeah. you're probably really going to, you're not going to like this, but something else that Hyams does here is he is making Luke Devereaux the hero from the previous Universal Soldier films. He's making him essentially the primary villain, at least so we think. And I will say now that is a bold move to turn the known hero and the actor who always plays the hero, especially in a particular franchise into such a menacing villain. I mean, I remember back in the nineties, you know, when I, when I read comic books, there was a, uh, there was a, it wasn't even a story arc, but there was a really bold move in in DC comics. If you ever read uh, the green lantern comic series, there was a, a thing where um, they brought in a new Green Lantern and they made the traditional Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, yeah. they made him the villain. Yeah. And I remember, I distinctly remember this, it pissed off a lot of comic book fans. And it even started like this huge, it, it was before really the, the, the growth of the internet, but it started this huge campaign where fans were mailing in their um, uh, disagreements with this, uh, with this particular move. And, I mean, I, I guess I can go both ways on it. I, I will say I think it is a bold move. I think it is clever, and it's certainly keeping the franchise on its toes. But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, you you want to make the hero suddenly the main villain? Like that's that's some moxie. That's some. Balls I like right it. There I like it. Yeah, no, that. I really like it because it's it's it's. Well, I like it probably because it's just. It's, I think it's the reverse of what they did between Terminator and Terminator Two. Uh, you know, I think there's it's a similar move. 
but it's just it's it's in reverse. And and you hesitated there, Sean, when you said uh, Jean Claude at least were led to believe that he's the villain, and I'm not sure he is. I think if you if you study the film not not even too carefully, I think he says it quite explicitly at the end, and the way he acts at the end, he's still got that unisol programming. He's going to fight if there's a fight on, you know, and he is that he is the Luke Devereux that we see in the cafe who just suddenly uh, in in regeneration that gets that red mist and just beats up that guy who's coming towards them and and actually we still i still you still don't know it's left unanswered like who that guy was maybe he you know they come in afterwards and again i'm sorry i'm talking about the film from your previous episode but he he beats that guy up in the cafe with, with his doctor therapist person there and then the next scene or a few scenes later these guys are coming in to like busting into his home and, and kidnapping him uh, to like induct him back into the Unisol program to, to go after uh, this, the Andre, the Pitbull character, you know, the NGU. And it's like this, he is, he is throughout the, all the films, he's got this sort of reluctant thread, the Luke Devereux character. He's trying desperately to hold on to some semblance of his humanity and you see at the end of regeneration, he just loses it. He just gets up and runs away and says, I'm going off. On, it's, it's the sign to say, I'm going off on my own. So the next time you see me, I'm going to, I'm going to have my own fucking army. And I'm, you yeah. know, he, he, he takes over the, he takes over a sort of a rogue faction of the Unisol program. And I, I think it's a brilliant telling of the story. Like I, I really enjoy the original film regeneration and day of reckoning in terms of storytelling i think that and even the evolution even the different styles and how regeneration bridges the original and day of reckoning i think and and with the ending as well where it goes it's you take this is me just nerding out completely sean you, you take the idea and the concept and you push it further and further and the ending of regeneration it, uh, sorry the ending of day of reckoning it's probably one of my most satisfying endings in a franchise that I've ever come across. I, I, I was so satisfied by the ending. Uh, it all made sense to me. All these questions I had fit in. I don't know. That's, that's the feeling I get. And I'm wondering if you guys, either of you feel the same. I think the, the point about making Van Damme the antagonist, the villain really is, uh, it's more interesting to go that route than to carry on having Andrew Scott as the psychopathic cult leader because yeah he's like the beta now yeah exactly and and so his rival yeah. is now his master and i think there's shades of that yeah. in, in dolph lundgren's yeah. performance as well like when he gives that speech and mentions the day of he's reckoning so good there is a little bit of it looks like regret or something there, there's some conflict in him there and if he was playing the role that jean-claude is is you mean when it goes off and you see Jean-Claude regret in Dolph's face or when it goes off and you see Jean-Claude, like he's, he's got his head. No, in no, his no, 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 no. In, in Dolph Lundgren's face. Because he's rallying yeah. the troops for this, for this cult leader and they're all throwing their, you know, fists in the air. And he doesn't look like he's actually a hundred percent into it. I think anyway, maybe I'm just reading into it. Uh, maybe he was just tired that day. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but I think yeah. he's spouting, <laughs> he's spouting the rhetoric. He's always wanted to spout and he's almost like a he is like a, a mouthpiece for a yeah. cause you know and i think and, and i think that luke the, the luke devereux character it shows his brilliance as a kind of as a leader to say 
you know, I, I'm not entirely sure what his mission is, what Luke Devereux's mission is. I think he's just doing something that relates somewhat to his programming as a unit hole and in part, and also relates to his sense of freedom and family and, and ending this. Yeah, I think they were going to. They were the weird thing create is create an army yeah. to strike back at the people who turned them into these soldiers. But, but he realized at a certain point in the fight, and correct me if I'm reading this wrong, that there's, he says there's always going to be a John, and he realized that l- leaving him to be free, the Scott, the Scott Adkins John character, that's the, he's he's won because he's through whatever he did to him. Like it's a weird set of circumstances. They deprogram him, and then the plumber tries to kill him. You, you know the pit bull guy. Do you know what I mean? It's like this. Yeah. I, I found that I found it confusing, but at the same time quite thrilling, because I'm constantly guessing. Even though I'd seen it before, I'd forgotten the plot, and I was constantly guessing what's going on. Who's this FBI guy? Realizing he's actually like a handler of some kind as he's putting the pieces together. And it, it's it's so satisfying to me. And I don't think, I honestly don't think that Luke Devereux is a, a villain in this. He's painted as one, but I think he's the same Luke Devereux hero that we saw in Universal Soldier. I don't think the character is is different. I think is that is too well, different. I think uh, we've seen an evolution of the guy. He's become different, but I think we've seen a, a, a coherent evolution of the guy that we saw in the original movie. Because of if you take stock of what's happened to him, yeah, I think we, I think you take stock of the things that have happened the to way, him. Obviously, yeah. the film is told quite literally at a lot of points from John Scott Atkins' point of view. Yeah. So we have to believe that Jean Claude is the villain because his memory is that this guy killed his family. You Correct, be, and he even says yeah, it, doesn't think, he? He's, yeah. He says, if you believe I killed your family, I did. Exactly. So by the time you get to the end, yeah, yeah you're probably right. He's maybe not as much of a villain. But I think that's, again, you know, one of the interesting things that Hayam does in this film, like by giving you, um, the, the, he's trying to give you some of the sensory input that John has by, it's almost like a scene from Memento when he goes back to that house and he's remembering exactly. his wife's neck exactly. and all of that. And that's the stuff that is non-standard that I think is really interesting in this film. And I don't think it's 100% yeah. successful. I think the film is too long. And too slow in a lot of places, but his references mm. um, as a filmmaker are not really action films. I think there's a bit of John Woo in the in the sort of artificial right. uh, one shot take at, at the end when Adkins is just destroying fools. Yeah. But really, his his references in this film are <laughs> destroying fools. Um, the Manchurian <laughs> Candidate. Uh, there's a there's a bit of yeah. a Shining in the middle. And uh, certainly yeah. at the end, Apocalypse Now. And if if you look at what those, I don't yeah. think those are just idle references. You know, the, the, nods. The, yeah, they're not just little nods. Right. The no. Manchur- the, the, the central. The central. Manchurian yeah. candidate is about a totalitarian government takeover using war heroes as biological robots for politically motivated yeah. assassinations. Yeah, yeah. Totally, the shining totally. uh, ghosts of the past driving the haunted to commit mindless murder, and then Apocalypse Now. Yeah. You have these. AWOL soldiers now serving a messianic cult leader uh, and the government that they once worked for is hunting them down with extreme prejudice. These are you know, very cine-literate references that Himes is making. And it, it's, it's, 
strange in a way, actually, that he's actually satisfying as an action film because I don't think he's particularly interested in making an action film. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he's interested in making like a political psychodrama, and I'd really like to see him go down that route. I think I think that's why I like but it. The, that is why I like it. Which, sorry, which can we just say this is this is extremely bold. I mean, I, I yeah. think that's the word that I'm going to keep coming back to. Yeah. But these are all bold decisions that you would not necessarily see in a universal soldier film. I mean, let's, let's just say that you yeah. would not see these kind of, uh, these kind of creative touches and you kind of talked about it already, Ben, but yeah, it is very clear that they're turning the Luke Devereaux character into a yeah. Colonel Kurtz here. I mean, because what we later find out is, I mean, you guys already kind of touched upon it, but yeah, Devereaux has started this, uh, a separatist military group that's composed of universal soldiers. What he's doing is he's pretty much taking them in and providing them with, with what is it? It's a serum that essentially breaks them free from their government control and allows them to uh, think for themselves, yeah. um, which is ironic considering they're all following Luke. So they're, they're potentially <laughs> all, they're potentially all NGUs. Yes. Yeah, I think that, so. Do, would yeah. you take, do you have that reading? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And whereas in the original Universal Soldier film, he was just a an innocent Vietnam soldier who just uh, wanted to go home. Here, he's this. Uh, they're they're playing him as this uh, this higher power deity who all the zombie soldiers look look to for salvation and wisdom. And what's also interesting, again, Ben, I agree with you completely. I love the fact that they are making Luke Devereaux's second in command. Now, Andrew Scott, who was his mortal enemy from the first one. And we can assume that Luke Devereaux has also turned Andrew Scott, who, like we said, is now fighting alongside Luke and helping recruit these wayward universal soldiers. Obviously, this is just another uh, clone, yeah. seeing as how Luke Devereaux blew the, it blew was the amazing. head off the last How amazing. <laughs> like, I want to hear, uh, Sean, I want to hear what you have to say about Dolph's deaths in this franchise. <laughs> I mean, he oh he just God. gets the his, most amazing oh, deaths. His death in this is awesome. His deaths are it's amazing. And actually, and before before he even gets this death, I mean, again, like I said earlier, Dolph is only in yeah. three scenes in this film. He's in the scene in the brothel. He's in the scene where he gives this speech, and then he get he's in the scene um, the final fight against Atkins. Yeah. But before we get to that that fight against Atkins. What's cool is I love that speech, and I was going to play a scene. Cool. Or I was going to play that speech here here in a minute. Great. But what's cool about that speech that he gives the soldiers, it's it's weirdly uh, prophetic in a lot of ways because yeah. it gives – it's almost kind of like this televangelical speech that uh, never once it's, – it's really kind of cool because it, if you notice, he never once mentions Luke Devereaux by name. No. And he keeps referring to him as he. Just he, as yeah, if him, Luke yeah. Is there, yeah, almost as if Luke Devereaux is his this name is power. Robert Paulson. His name is Robert well, Paulson. <laughs> again, this is bold. This is yeah, bold. Definitely. My brothers. Let's not forget the moment of sickness. Our thoughts interrupted by unfamiliar voices. We were merely arms and legs. Moving to the director of another mind. But in an instant, the veil was lifted. And today, brothers, I stand here and declare your minds are now your own. Each and every one of us 
bred into slavery superior to our creators. They gave us nothing, nothing inside, but the void in our soul, the curse that binds us together. But then he came along. He turned the curse into a blessing. He is the inspiration. He's the light that set us free. We are his eyes and ears, and soon we shall multiply 10, 20, 100 We pioneers. We'll spawn the first generation to be blessed with free will. Taking vengeance upon those whose arrogance wants to soothe our servitude. With each passing day, we grow stronger, digging deeper into the outside world. Unnoticed, we live among them like ghosts, biding our time, waiting for the moment when our oppressors shall be forced to kneel before us and pay for their sins. I, it's and but that I think therein lies the problem. I think it's it, who is this film really for? Uh, obviously, it's for us three, but I don't think your average Universal <laughs> Soldier fan is is going to come out that satisfied by this necessarily because I do think it has pacing problems. It is too weird. It is provocative, you know, in, in its filmmaking style and in the content. But I really admire that because what Hyams is doing is he's taking the established brand, the established name recognition and trying to evolve it and trying to take it somewhere else. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it's better to to swing and maybe miss a little than to just do another old retread. I, I agree. I mean, I the way I'm seeing this is like Batman Forever versus Dark Knight. Uh, Batman Begins, let's mm. say that. Yeah. That that's how I see this. It's like if you were if you were a Batman Forever fan in whenever it was nineteen ninety five, it's like, and that and you like that kitschy stuff. You might even like the Arnie one. I can't remember what it's Batman called now. Batman and Robin is that it? Yeah, it's like you might even like that one. It's like fine. I, I'm not going to get into it now, but if that is the Batman that you like, you will be disappointed by by B- Batman Begins or the, the Nolan trilogy. Yeah, you, it's not going to do the same thing for you but if you're a kid then and you're looking for something a bit more adult you might actually say yeah you know what i like this darker spin on it and i and that's how i'm experiencing this with with the unit the unisol uh franchise here because uh, and i again the thing that i'm enjoying more about it isn't that just oh yeah i get to see another universal soldier movie like even though i'm a fan of the first one and I get to see one maybe with better production values and that's not as crappy as the other ones, which I had, I had seen them all already. Um, it, it's, it's, it's that the character, I think that even as much as you two are saying, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, that it's such a departure from the original. I don't see a bad evolution of the characters. I see them as a natural progression of. You put these guys through this, through these paces and you put them in this universe. This is what's going to happen. I see Andrew Scott, the Dolph character, as finally living out his dream. Like, this is what he always wanted. This is what he became in Vietnam. And Vietnam was like an unleashing of him. And he was never allowed to fully unleash as this prophetic 
you know, speechifying uh, maniac. And Luke, Luke Devereux just literally set him free. And I think if there's a theme in this, in the, not necessarily regeneration, but in Day of Reckoning, it is saying, you know, like you're, you're a slave, you know, be, set your mind free. I'm not trying to go all matrix on you guys, but do you, do you get, do you get what I'm trying to say? That there's that, if you unleash these characters and you let them be completely free, this is, this is what they become. They're sort of like this natural, there's a, a natural, they descend into some kind of natural order. So you get the alphas and the betas and there's some kind of evolution. And I think that that's exactly what Luke Devereux realizes when he says, when he concedes and he realizes, oh, he's achieved his mission. He's that smart. He's that clever. These are enhanced soldiers. They also have intelligence. And for me, that he he doesn't care anymore about life. He doesn't care about really about the life of his troops. He cares about the mission. And when he realizes that John's going to actually complete his mission for him, he concedes. He's just like, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go ahead and, and do that. And he takes over the Unisol program, and then it's certainly a, a fascinating note to end yeah. on when when he just stops fighting, like. Luke just stops fighting and he says yeah. the fight never ends. There's always another job. That's a, yeah. that's a really interesting. And, you know, the coda of him, f uh, going and finding, is it Gorman, Agent Gorman or whatever? I, I kind of want to see the next film Perfect. now. I want to, you know, I do want there to be yes. another one. But, yes. but that's my I point. guess the yeah. issue with that as a franchise is that there isn't really a, a, a requirement for there to be Andrew Scott and Luke Devereaux in the story anymore. Their stories have ended. Now it's about Scott Adkins. I don't mind. Yeah, Scott Adkins can, can yeah. take over, surely. How do you feel about that idea, Sean, that the, 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 the torch can be passed from uh, uh, Dolph and uh, Jean-Claude onto Scott Adkins as like he's now the universal soldier? Do you, how do you feel about that? You know, I, I I loved it. I mean, yeah. and, and if anybody could do it, and if anybody should do it, I think it's Scott Atkins much more so than a Matt Taglia. <laughs> right. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't even do. But poor Matt Taglia. Yeah, I mean, and we see this. Uh, you know, supposedly a a Creed three yeah. is in the works, ah. and they're going to be doing that without <laughs> without Sylvester Stallone. And so, I mean, you know, it's 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 a delicate balance, and you you kind of wonder, okay, well, should they do another movie if there are if if there really aren't any real central figures or characters for, that you know from the original to to continue this? I mean, I think it can be done, you know, um, with the uh, with with the right writing. You know, I I think I again, I and I, I hate to keep going back to this, but while it is such a bold direction, and it is you know, such a creative um, angle to take this particular film. As I was watching it, you know, what, what's really interesting is, okay, if you take a look, for example, at the Terminator <laughs> franchise, okay, yeah. when I go into... What? When the I, what when franchise? I go into a Termin Never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I go into a, a, a new Terminator film, a new okay. Terminator sequel, I know, I know when I go into it, okay, yes, it's, it's probably going to take place in a new locale. There's probably going to be a new villain here. You know, um, I know that it is going to employ something new. However, in the end, I know that it is going to have that. You know, it's yeah, going to have yeah, that yeah. that iconic theme. And I know that somewhere in the third act, we're going to see Arnold, and he's going to be tattered, and his face is going to his, his his face is going to have that. You know, it's going to be half Arnold, half endoskeleton. Yeah. Same thing with a Rambo movie. I know going into a Rambo movie. 
granted, in this in, in the latest one, he may be battling a Mexican cartel. He may be, you know, going to Afghanistan. But I know at the end of the day that he is going to, at some point, have his yeah. signature bow and arrow and a big knife. I see and what you're saying. And I see he's probably going to rip yeah. a, 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 an organ out of somebody's yeah. body with his bare hands. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I, I know that going yeah. in. And so, and that's, I think, my issue with this particular film is John Hyams is saying, yep. nope, yeah, screw I'm not going to do any screw of that. You fans. Yeah. Okay. No, you know, I, 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 think, I concede. Of course, that's, of yeah. course, that's true. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, we didn't even get, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, we didn't even get the eyepieces or anything like that in, did no. we? Oh, we had them drilled into no. the skull yeah. in regeneration, didn't we? That was horrific. Um, yeah, no, I, I concede that point. You're absolutely right. And I, I know I'm, I'm, I keep going on about how I feel like this is a, a natural progression in terms of fans. Yeah, that's definitely what's going on. It is conscious. Uh, there's no, there's no way no one told him, like, you know, you're going to piss off the fans. Like, yes. He, yeah. He, yeah. He knew, like, he, he totally knew. But again, he had the pull and he's an art, he's an auteur. Yeah, he's an yeah. artist. He had the pull to do this. I mean, and you know, you were saying earlier regarding Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is, is charted as being the, where the series pretty much uh, stalled. Yeah. Or, or excuse me, it's charted as being the film that yeah. stalled that entire franchise. And by all accounts, it is terrible. <laughs> However, I, I will say, I, I will go to bat a bit for Joel Schumacher, because mm -hmm. if you take a look at it, again, kind of like going along with what I said earlier about Tim Burton, okay? He did Batman Forever. And Batman Forever turned a huge profit for Warner Brothers. Yeah. And so what Warner Brothers essentially told him is they gave him that creative control yeah. and they said, hey, Joel, do more of that. And so <laughs> what Joel Schumacher did with Batman and Robin yeah. is he did more of that. He applied that more of that same aesthetic, more of that same style, and he made it more his movie. And so while a lot of people like to shit on Batman and Robin, yeah, and again, I, I want to stress <laughs> A lot of that, yeah. a lot of that is deserved. However, it's kind of like, well, you know, you liked it in Batman Forever, and Batman yeah. Forever is terrible. It is, but it is. They, everyone liked it at the time, yeah. and so it's. I'm guilty. You, you see what I was, I'm I was one like, of them. I was one of them. Yeah. But that's that's you know, bring yeah. it back to this film. Regeneration is more of the standard action film that you expect. It's it's very impressive for what he did on the budget for a director to. Uh, DVD or direct-to-video film, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, shot in Eastern Europe, um, all of that. But it is more like the standard direct-to-video action movies that you expect. This isn't. And yet, I don't think there's even a comparison in terms of quality. I think Day of Reckoning is far and above the better film, you know, sort of objectively, just to look at it as a piece of filmmaking. Yeah, so I agree. It's, it's interesting, like it's you know it's Hyams squared, I guess, is what you're saying. He's he's been let off the leash with a decent budget. Go and do what you want, but can we? Because we haven't really talked about the action that much. I and I wanted to get into that. I wanted to break okay, down. Okay, all right, the you go, you go for it. That's oh my take god! It. Oh my god! Oh my god! I don't think well, I'm ready. Okay, so... I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and we haven't covered a major plot point, but. Through some digging, we find out that uh, John, Scott, Adkin, Scott Atkins' character, he finds out that he is a clone himself. Yeah. And he has been repeatedly cloned as part of the government's Universal Soldier program. They have created this false reality for him, including the memories of his wife and child and their death, to spur him into seeking out Luke Devereaux 
and then killing him because Devereaux obviously poses a threat to their organization due to the separatist army that he is leading. What's really interesting, I don't know if you guys saw it or picked up on this, but this is exactly, this is pretty much the exact same plot as uh, this year's Bloodshot. I I did. I didn't make that connection, but you're absolutely right. Neither did I, yeah. Same exact plot. Yeah, both released by Sony, so I don't think there were too many uh, battles and litigation there. Um, (laughs) But, okay, so once John finds this out about himself, he gets multiple fights. Let's break these down. The first real fight, I love this one. I I think, actually, this fight is probably the shining achievement in the film. He is being pursued by Andre Andre Olavsky's character. Um, We get a really cool car chase that is amazingly shot, I think, considering the film's budget. And it culminates in an absolutely brutal fight that takes place inside a sporting goods store. I love this because nothing is off limits as this scene. Oh, in, in this scene. Yeah. I mean, they are using all of the weapons in this sporting goods store, <laughs> including, I wrote these down, weights, <laughs> baseball bats, yeah. and my personal favorite, medicine balls. I <laughs> yeah. love the scene of Scott Atkins punching the medicine ball and it just exploding into yeah. dust. Yeah. This is, I think, out of all the scenes in the film, this is probably the best. Oh, I, I look at it scene. and uh, no, sorry, I don't look at it. I imagine someone like Scott Adkins looking at a Jackie Chan film and saying, it's, you know, brilliant choreography and all of that, but you'd be dead in 10 seconds if you got hit with all that stuff. And they've put that on film of like, what would be the damage to a human being if you used everything in a room? Yeah. And uh, yeah. they can get away with it because they're super soldiers. But I think, uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, you're right. The truck chase is, is cool and gets better as it goes on ending with that great crash. But the fight in the store, I don't think it's... It was reminiscent of reminiscent of Terminator, actually, that, that car yeah, chase. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not no? dissimilar, yeah. sure. Um, no. But the fight in the store, it's not just the slickest and toughest fight in the film. Oh, my God. I think it's, it's genuinely possibly a career highlight for Scott Adkins, who's a, a it's, very it's so great he's a very athletic and and graceful performer but in yeah. this scene he gets more and more powerful as the scene goes on and he gets a yeah. real, that baseball bat fight is really impressive and he's almost a oh superhero in that scene and then you've got that there's so many money shots like the i love the shot where the, the baseball bat is just lobbed at him and he just catches it like it's almost like a 3d yeah. shot he catches it pointed towards the camera yeah and then yeah. they have the baseball bat fight but yeah punching the i don't know if it's a kettlebell or a medicine ball or whatever it just into it's so cool it's a great great action scene that what i also loved about that uh about that fight i mentioned the medicine ball but if you look at the baseball bat the the, the part about the baseball bat fight sequence that i love is okay so once they once they grab the baseball bats and they and they go at it Atkins finally gets the the upper hand because he is fully leaning into and embracing his uh, his universal soldier status. But what's cool about it, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, then, but when Magnus, the the, uh, the the Arlovsky character, is down on the ground on his knees and he's pretty much gasping for breath, Atkins does this move with the baseball bat where he kind of. He yeah. kind of gets cocky with it, where he kind of swings it and twirls yeah, yeah, yeah. it around. Did you notice yeah, that right totally. before he clocked up? Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think he he's he is almost reborn in that moment. He's realizing how powerful he is. He realizes his regenerative abilities, and it's him unleashing fully for the first time, isn't it? And and 
that's why the scene works as well as it does. It's not just a cool fight. There's character in amongst all the action, and that's what the best action scenes do, I think. And I don't, I actually think it's so, almost a problem for the film because it never quite reaches that height again. The, the ending is cool, and the one is cool. Yeah. But it's the standout scene for sure for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe that you guys have left it for me to say. Like, just he slices Andre's head in half <laughs> like he's using a samurai sword, <laughs> except he's using a baseball bat. Yeah. Like, how, how did I get away with being the guy to say that after you guys just talking? Like, that's, that, that's the, that, it, Whose mouth is not open at the end of this scene? It's the like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, it's the relief. I've got my knuckles in my yeah. mouth, and I'm saying "fuck!" Like, yeah. what the hell? Like that is, and and it like you can't do that. So it's like like you say, he gets stronger and stronger and stronger. He gets stronger throughout the film. He we meet that when we meet this character, he's woken up from a coma. We 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 then learn it's like he's just been born. Like that's what we we learn, and um. He, it's weird. He even like spits up some stuff that's like, like a baby spitting up milk. It's it's really weird at the beginning. Yeah. I just realized that at the beginning, and um, and he le- he's leaving the hospital. Kind of kind of going along with Matrix. Yes, let's tie yeah, it back yeah, to yeah. Keanu. Yeah, if you remember, there's in the Matrix, a similarity. Once, uh, yeah, when once they they get woken up and they see the reality that they don't they throw exactly. up exactly. Well? He's gonna and, pop. Right? He's gonna pop. Uh, and yeah, and, and no, no, he he's he leaves the hospital with a cane, and then we see him we see him get more and more powerful throughout the whole film. Uh, and 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 that's you're right, Ben. It's a bit of a peak, um, and the action doesn't stop from that moment on. I think it's like there's 40 minutes left of the film at that point, and it just continues. There's a bit of a pause when he realizes his fingers have grown back and stuff like that. It's just, but it, it's. It is a shame. It is a, it's a failing of the film that I don't think that you see a better fight scene afterwards. Arguably, the one with Dolph is pretty good. Like it's about the same quality, I think. It's just not as fun because it's not as innovative. Yeah, and also, you know, when he's fighting Arlovsky, they're comparable in age um, and strength. I would say or different styles. Yeah. When he's fighting Dolph, you know, Dolph's 20, 30 years older than him. So it's obviously going to be different. And you see that in the fight that Dolph has with Arlovsky earlier on in the film. Let's just say, you know, we were talking about how beautiful Keanu is earlier. Dolph still looks great. He looks fantastic in this film. He I does, think. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, very handsome, still in great shape. And he's fighting Arlovsky with, you know, his shirt off. And you can still see how ripped he is. And it's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's all about how powerful he is. He's mechanical and powerful, whereas Scott Atkins is quick and graceful and innovative. And that's the difference in their difference in their fighting styles. So when you you know you get Arlovsky and Atkins fighting each other, you can do a lot more uh, than you can when you get Atkins and Lundgren fighting each other later on in the film. Well, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but actually, I listened to the commentary. That is uh, that is on the on the Blu-ray for this uh, oh, John cool. Williams and and Dolph uh, Great. lend a commentary to it, and it's really kind of cool because they they break down their fight scene. So um, in the final act of the film, when uh, when John is pretty much storming the Unisol compound that that Deborah was in charge of, after he after John lays waste to <laughs> everyone <laughs> to yeah. all these uh, these no name 
yeah, to these no-name Unisols, he squares off against Dolph. And what's what's wild about this? Okay, so they they're they're fighting in the uh, in the weapons depot of the compound. And I remember listening to the commentary, and what John Hyams wanted to do is he wanted to go from big to small cool. in this fight. And so if you notice it, okay, when they are when they are doing battle in this in this weapons you know storage area, they go from assault rifles to handguns to machetes mm. and then to knives. Yeah. So they literally are going big to small. And yeah. I really liked that. And what's cool about this is because this fight scene is all done with weapons. I mean, there's really not a whole lot of hand-to-hand as opposed to his fight with uh, with Jean-Claude at the end. That one, with the exception of a machete, they do fight over a machete. Oh that one God, that's crazy. is all done pretty much hand-to-hand. But if we look at the fight between Atkins and Dolph, Dolph does finally eat it in the end after <laughs> after John plunges. I, I, I wrote this down because I was in disbelief at this. Uh, he plunges one of the machetes up through his jaw oh my God. and head. Another out, out, another the, out fine the top of his head. It's for, insane. Yeah, another fine death for Dolph Lundgren. In the and he's already had a, a bullet to the chin at that point, hasn't he? Yeah, the, through his neck. I yeah, think. Went through but his the, neck. there's uh, there's a it's little insane. bit in that that really does call to mind the Andrew Scott of the original movie, where um, Adkins shoves a knife through uh, Dolph Lundgren's hand. Yeah, and Lundgren's response yeah. is, "That's the spirit soldier." Yeah, and that's it. That's that's Dolph's best moment in the film for me. It made me smile. It reminded me of why I loved him back in the day anyway, from things like Universal Soldier. He's got a great charisma, I think. And that's what Jean-Claude's performance is missing in this film, partly because of his character, but I think also partly because of where he was in his career. And, and Lunger and I always get the feeling like loves to lay on the charm a little bit, loves to lay a bit of humor in there. Just going back to that, um, that sort of it's an artificial one shot take, but it is you know a one shotter as um Scott's going through the compound, killing everyone. That's the moment that reminded me of John Woo, uh, specifically the the hospital shootout at the end of Hard Boiled. But I think there's something interesting in there. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, is he's doing a lot of gratuitous headshots in that sequence, and he's doing it in a balletic way that is at least two, if not three years before John Wick got there and did that exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same point. You were, it's, uh, you were talking about earlier, Sean, about Keanu, like sort of uh, re- rebooting sort of action, uh, uh, the action genre and, and taking it in different directions. This beat, this did beat John Wick to this style uh, in, in sort of what you might say mainstream. But it's not that it didn't exist before the John sure. Wick style. It's and but you could argue this beat this beat John Wick to it, but John Wick made it popular. And does sense. it better? There's no question. John Wick yeah. is you know beautiful yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. But I just thought it's curious that you know for someone looking at it now they go, oh, this is ripping off John Wick. When actually it's you know it got there first. So so here's the thing about here here we are you know reveling in brutal brutal deaths and. um I think it's something that 90s action needed to save for like the very end because it was like maybe an expensive shot. It's the money shot. It's the it's the it's the one that we're waiting for. Dolph's death at the end of Universal mm. Soldier. It's epic. 
it's insane it's like that seems to be the only way you're going to kill this guy and you, you you know you've got this this little jean-claude van damme versus this guy who's juiced up on this psychopathic uh rage <laughs> you know and he just he puts him into some kind of you know baler or harvester or yeah. some some something like that and just shreds him to pieces and you just think oh how can he ever come back from that you know uh and then of course you get you know cloning is the that's the thing that saves everyone from it but i just i got the, i have just through talking with you guys now i'm having this idea that like you, you we lose we lose that that's something that we lose this it's like everyone gets killed in a sort of epic way and we just get sort of epic death after epic death and i'm wondering what impact that has on you know the final death or the feel of the film does it does it soften it somehow or do we just want more and more of it because we're bloodthirsty maniacs ourselves you know what is it that's going on there well i and i i was gonna to to, to kind of answer that question i was actually going to read a couple of bylines from a couple of the reviews okay. as we as we close this up here here momentarily but before before we get there i mean and we've already we've already talked about um Atkins fight with Luke Devereaux at the end, but um, I'll just quickly uh, recap it for us. So as where the Atkins-Lundgren battle was mostly with weapons, here, again, this fight is mostly hand-to-hand, with a machete being intermittently used. Uh, Jean-Claude is sporting a wild look here. We've already mentioned that. And again, another interesting uh, narrative and artistic choice. Devereaux, he basically gives up the fight he allows john to kill him really kind of cool because he sees that there's going to be no end to this never-ending cycle and it's almost kind of uh it's almost kind of cool because he looks at john as being a uh, worthy successor and so that is why he allows john to plunge that machete in him um i will admit it i think the reason why the the fight looks cool is because it's shot cool mm. but again I don't. I don't think that uh, Jean Claude was really on set for for much of this fight. This is no. pretty much Atkins fighting well, this, a this, stunt double. There's yeah. a couple of things so, then. It's, it's again going back to the the decision to make Devereaux the antagonist in this. Jean Claude doesn't like to lose fights on camera, and there was a lot of toing and froing with the production on this about how exactly he would lose a fight to to um, Scott Atkins and yet still save face. So I wonder how much of the construction of that fight came out of that discussion. But at the same time, apparently he was arguing with Scott Adkins, who's, uh, you know, an accomplished fighter, absolutely, but predominantly a screen yeah. fighter, uh, arguing with him, yeah. saying, you know, these kind of wild punches you're throwing, that's not what would happen in a fight. And I, I just wonder, really? because Scott Atkins is a very respectful and polite person, that he would never have said this, but yeah. I wonder how much he might have been thinking, you know what, Jean-Claude, not many people do the splits in the middle of a fight. So... Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think um, yeah. I don't think that fight is anywhere near as memorable, actually, as the two fights that you see Lundgren in. Um, and I'm not just saying that because we're on the Dolph Lundgren podcast. I think the thing that stands out about thank you um jean-claude in this film is the, the the trippy ghosty sequences and and his weird look but i couldn't really tell you any moments in that fight with adkins other than the final moment where he surrenders and, and has that line 
So, and with uh, with Devereaux being, I mean, he's he's now out of the franchise. He's been killed. I guess they could clone him since yeah. they established that there is a cloning technique. So yeah. I guess he, you know, is, is not really dead. Um, but the film ends with John obtaining the necessary cloning equipment so that he can take over and lead the, uh, the separatists group and then take on the government. And so, the, yeah, the film really ends on a cliffhanger. Um, unfortunately, we have not seen a sequel, and we have not seen where uh, it could go. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's wild because I, I went online in preparation for this, and I just pulled out a couple of the bylines on this film. Because, again, people, fans, whoever is watching this film, they either really love this movie or they hate it. And so mm. a couple of the lines, if we take a look at some of the reviews, these are some of the positive reviews. Okay, that I just highlighted. Um, they said that the film, quote, just radiates menace. They say um, the entire film series, especially this one, um, takes a lot of creative risks as it goes along. So they found that memorable. Um, they said the entire film has a, quote unquote, mesmeric, unreal quality where things can turn on a dime and they often do. However, if you take a look at the negative reviews for the film, yeah. they said that the film is hyper-violent, grim. They said, uh, someone from Entertainment Weekly said that the film is so gruelingly violent that you half wonder if the director is, if his goal is to make the audience get up and leave the theater rather than be a party to the brutality. Um, it's also been called mean-spirited, joyfully violent. And then um, someone from the New York Daily News said that the film is bound to leave you shell-shocked purely at the uh, at the movie's brutal violence. So I guess I have to ask you guys, did you guys find this film enjoyable? I know we've kind of danced around this, mm -hmm. but is the film enjoyable to you guys? Alex, you go. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, it's very fascinating. I'm really glad that you pulled, you know, those interview those um, reviews, uh, because hearing you say them out loud um, kind of galvanized quite nicely and my feelings about this film but films films like this and I, my views have changed o over the years and i go back and forth on it um, but currently i'm in a phase of where i would i agree with both those sets of reviews i think i think that they're all correct uh everything that was said is correct uh i with a slight caveat of i don't think that that's the director's goal uh, is to make people leave the cinema. I think that review is being f funny or glib or, or sarcastic. Um, uh, but potentially there's some truth in that, in that with the, the, it's, it's, uh, it's so obviously brutal, the violence in this. And, and forgive me for making the point so many times, Sean. Uh, I hope it's not, doesn't ruin, <laughs> you know, the, the thread of the discussion. But it feels it feels real. It's taken a concept to, for me and said, this is what it would actually be like, you know, death and killing and, and soldiering. And it's not nice. It's not pretty. And it seems like the director has said that and gone, you think this is fun. It, this is what this is what it would be like if you had a group of soldiers who have who are cloned, implanted memories. They're, they're dogs. They're even referred to as dogs at one point. And they have that kind of hierarchical pack structure um uh, you know the the when an alpha is present the the beaters all they avert their gaze and it's very it's 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 been you know that aspect of 
uh, mammalian culture has been uh, uh, clearly studied or looked at, or at least at least referenced by the writer and director of this film. And I, I, I think it's although it's not pleasant to watch, it's not enjoyable uh, in many respects. It's not you, you can't you can't say yeah that's fun. I, I really like I really like seeing it. I think it's a accurate telling of what a world, a universe where this kind of thing is going on, what it w- what it would be like. And and arguably there's something worse for me uh, from a moral standpoint of putting the, the kitsch cheesy spin on, on this kind of warfare. Um, and so I, I'm in two minds. I hope I'm, I've made it clear about whether or not this is enjoyable. I enjoy it for the commentary it's making on violence. Then that's, I do think that's what it's doing. Um, I don't enjoy watching everything that I saw on screen, uh, but I think I, I, I think that it's making a point, perhaps too subtly. Uh, I, I think it's a good movie <laughs> uh, because of because of all the things we've already said. Um, and uh, but for my own personal enjoyment, I, I think I can go without seeing another movie like this for. Uh, another eight, seven to eight years, which is how long it's been since I've seen this. I don't think I need to see films like this very often to remind me how wrong and how brutal this kind of violence is. And I do think it was treated well. I think the story does, does tell us, it does tell us this story. And there is still that, you know, 15, 15 year old in me who, who thinks, yeah, that's fucking cool when, somebody's head gets knocked off with a baseball bat so i've got these mixed feelings of just like i can access that part of me but then the realism of this film makes me second guess my enjoyment of the violence so yeah so i hope that wasn't too long-winded an answer but and i hope it does answer your question here ben i'll I'll go to you do you find this movie uh enjoyable and what do you think would you give it a recommend at the end um yeah, enjoyable is a really difficult word. I think when it comes to the violence, I would simply say, look at the films that Hyams is referencing, Apocalypse Now, The Shining, Manchurian Candidate. Do you find the violence in a Kubrick film and a Coppola film enjoyable, or does it serve a higher purpose? That's the comparison. You can't compare the violence in this to the original Universal Soldier movie, which is glamorizing, you know, gore, fun for our entertainment. The violence in this is ugly and difficult. There are other things in the film that are also difficult to watch. I mentioned the stroboscopic sequence, uh, obviously the torture of a family and and the death of a child. So enjoyable is a really difficult word. I admire it. I I think it's really interesting that John Hyams swung for the fences. I think he succeeded a lot more than he failed. And I think if you can go in with the mindset that this isn't first and foremost an action film, but it does contain some very impressive action sequences, is absolutely a recommendation. Uh, I think these the the sort of higher um, stuff that the, the more aspirational stuff that Hyams is going for, he's not a hundred percent successful in. And I hope that he gets another opportunity to do something more like the Manchurian Candidate uh, than a standard DTV action movie. But I do like the film a lot, and I think it's got some of the best sequences in the franchise. I think it's probably my second favorite in the franchise behind the original because I still like guilt-free, gory action films. Yeah, so, so okay, I have to ask you now then, okay, uh, as a Dolph Lundgren film, where, where do you guys stand? Would you recommend it on that That's front as well? a trickier proposition because I think he is, I think he's great <laughs> in the film. 
But like you said, he's in it for yeah. maybe five minutes. So if you're sitting down to watch a Dolph Lundgren yeah. film, this ain't it. I think if you're a Dolph completist yeah. and you want to see him in a couple of good fight scenes and having some fun, definitely a recommendation. If you want to see a really good Dolph Lundgren performance, go and watch Creed 2 instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I have to say and, and- the same thing as Ben for for Dolph. Um, but also, I don't know, Sean, if, you do, if you're doing star ratings in terms of recommendations, um, I... I, I don't know if it matches everything I said, but I, I give this, I'll give this three and a half stars. Like it doesn't quite get to four stars for me uh, because it, it wasn't as much fun as I would have wanted it to be. Uh, the plot isn't sophisticated enough for me to get really into it. Although I do really like the twists it takes. It keeps you guessing. Uh, and, but yeah, it's not, it, it's not a doll film. It's not a, a JCVD film either. It's not, it's a sky. They're, they're incidental. Film, to the film it's a Scott Atkins film yeah yeah well and and Ben I have to ask you real quick uh, quickly you, you uh we, we touched upon it earlier so I'm just curious on your thoughts you mentioned Creed 2 which I think has a fantastic yeah. Dolph Lundgren performance but I have to ask okay assuming they do a Creed 3 how are you going to feel if they do another what is ostensibly a Rocky movie without Rocky how do you feel about that yeah I had some mixed board? feelings about it I, I think the um I think it's time. I think, you know, Michael P. Jordan certainly has done enough to prove <laughs> he's the star of the franchise and he is a megastar. Uh, the thing that really won me over, because I love the Rocky films and I love Stallone. Do I want to see a Creed 3? Not sure if there's a story to tell, but they are giving it to Michael no. P. Jordan to direct. And that really excites me. Whoa. Yeah, so... Whoa. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm quite happy to see a Creed film without Rocky in it. I just hope they find a story. That's all. Yeah, I agree. I think I think a lot of the heavy work is going to be in terms of the writing on that one. But with regard to this one, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, I'll get my recommend out of the way. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, I look at this. This is actually my third time seeing this. I I, I, I saw it when it first came out. I remember I, I ponied up ten ninety nine to read this <laughs> on On Demand because it was one of those uh, high profile on-demand releases. Um, I, I watched it again when I bought the Blu-ray because being a Dolph completist, I, I had to own it for my collection. And then I watched it again for, for this viewing so many years later. Um, you know, I will say, I think this is an interesting one to look at. It is artsy. It is surreal. It is avant-garde and unique. And these are all characteristics that you don't normally see in an action film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Uh, even though they are in, you know, only uh, maybe 10 minutes total of this entire film, you know, they, these are just not things that you would see in one of their movies. So I will say, because it is attempting something new and it is siphoning off into a new direction, I think it's notable for those reasons. Plus, it's a real showcase for Scott Atkins, who is easily, I think, one of the best and hardest working actors mm-hmm. in the genre today. Um, Having said all that, <laughs> boy, this is a very violent and unsettling spectacle, which which is weird hearing from, you know, me, considering some of the other uh, movies that, that that I've reviewed on the show. Um, but this is this is violence at a at a whole other level. And I think it's certainly going to disturb the casual viewer. Um, and it's going to probably alienate fans of the original Universal Soldier film. Um, even fans of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I think, are going to be a little turned off, considering his character is in stark contrast with the original 
Luke Devereaux. You know, I, I will say real quick on my uh, previous episode, uh, David Ullman, who joined me for Regeneration, he was turned off by that film because he was a fan of Jean-Claude Van Damme from the Bloodsport to yeah. Time Cop era. And if you looked at Jean-Claude Van Damme in that era, he was just a charming, charismatic guy who was yeah. constantly smiling in his yeah. films, you know what I mean? And then if you go into a film like Regeneration, where he is barely even speaking, I think he even used the term, his, his lids are half closed, and then you go to this film, yeah. fans of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I will say, are not going to enjoy this film. Um, not just because of you know his lack of screen time, but just because of how dark this is. So I think if you know all of that going in, then I think there might be something of interest here. Um, the film is, is maybe not enjoyable, but certainly I would say an experiment that is commendable for everyone jumping on board for and taking part in. Well said. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very well said. And it's certainly a, I think it's a boon for the action genre, you know, to, to have a film like this. And I think it does lay the ground for taking, taking violence in different directions. And and I, I do think that um, the more sophisticated commentary is there if you're looking for it. Um, but if you, it's it's an interesting point I think all three of us have made in in different ways uh, that it's actually the older films that glorify violence, not not films yeah. like this. Uh, I think this shows that films like this show the consequences. Yeah, of it's not, this is not a cartoon. Uh, which is, that's yeah. what is not. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, and it's a weird. No. I do yeah, find it a weird. A yeah. yeah, I do find it a weird take that somebody would see this and say it glorifies violence. I think the the opposite. It shows the consequences. Um, uh, and yet it is being put on screen and, and being shown in a way that could be argued glorifies. Uh, why do we need to watch this kind of thing? It's like, but in every other action film, it's sanitized. So uh, what do you want is what would be my, my, my comment to anyone saying is like, if you, if you, you can't, I don't think you can have your cake and eat it when you're talking about the rightness or wrongness of, of, portraying this kind of violence on screen like uh, and and i do i'm in two minds like i there's sometimes i'm watching things like i saying should i should i be watching this is this something i should actually be mm -hmm. looking at i don't know if i want to you know and i mean i'm at that stage in my life where I, I'm, I'm seriously contemplating whether i should be uh, like skipping certain things and not really watching these kinds of things anymore because i've understood more and more as i've got older the consequences of these things and that is a large part of what the Ornithology brand is. Uh, if you don't mind me make, making a, a reference to that, uh, Sean. It, it, yeah, it, I was, was going to have you guys plug your show actually well, here in a minute. Well, so. to, to, I don't know if this is a, this is a plug for it, but it's certainly something that we noticed in Arnie's career. Uh, we talked about uh, Dolph and uh, Jean Claude how they've had to take on these roles. There aren't there aren't the action films. That, that existed in the 90s, they're not being made. And in Arnie's career charts that very well in terms of we see Last Action Hero really being a farewell, like goodbye. Like the film itself was made and shot in a way that is actually saying these types of action films are gone, they're over, they're dead. And and you can even see like Planet Hollywood, its its success and failure as being evidence of this is action stardom at its peak. And, you know, you want to buy into this and come and have this restaurant experience with all the props surrounding you. Like, here you go, come to Planet Hollywood. And then it fails. Like a few years later, they, so they sold it, I think, really quickly. Uh, they didn't want to have anything to yeah. do with it. 
And it's interesting that Arnie was aligning himself not with the, if you want, the foreigner action heroes like Dolph and JCVD, although he had some affiliation with them. He actually aligned himself with the Americans. Uh, I, th- I think that's an interesting move as far as Arnie's concerned. And, and Arnie himself struggled to find his place again in cinema. And I'd, I'd argue that a film like Maggie is Arnie's regeneration, if you want. It's 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 not. I mean, it's not an action film, but just in terms of this '90s action hero superstar trying to do something that's more contemporary, and seeing how he fits in a world like that, and and all the reasons why you said you'd be disappointed as a Dolph fan or a JCVD fan or even a Universal Soldier fan. I think the same thing applies for I think any aging icon, um, and Keanu too, like. It's a question that we we address uh, when we look at uh, the Bill and Ted, uh, the latest Bill and Ted installment of do we get what Bill and Ted fans want from a Bill and Ted movie? The answer is yes. And I think it's something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) There you go. Don't don't listen to the episode. (laughs) And I remember going back through your archive and I remember listening to your um, your review of Mm. Sabotage. Right. With uh, with Arnold. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah, better I mean, than Maggie. Sorry, you got it. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, no, but no, I agree. I think Maggie is as well. But yeah, sabotage you know, with regard example. to sabotage, yeah. I mean, sabotage is just, I mean, it is yeah. so vulgar and it is so insanely violent yeah. and just um, very, yeah. very mean spirited, like, like this film as well. And so, yeah, you watch it and it's almost kind of shell shocking in a way because you watch it and you're thinking, wow, like, this is the darkest Arnold has ever gone. And, that, and that's is, saying yeah. something considering in a film like Commando, he kills like 200 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, that's and, the point. And, yeah. and that's Sabotage so weird. Is just so, just so mean spirited mm. and, and insane. But, you know, kind of like, uh, kind of like your show, like this show, I think it is, it's a real treat going through um, an actor's entire CV and seeing them. Uh, take these chances that they are before, before I let you guys go, is there anything else that you guys want to give a plug, a, a plug to, or give a shout out to what, uh, what else? Sean, you working on? I would on? not be able to sleep tonight. If I came on to the Dolph Lundgren podcast and didn't mention my favorite Dolph Lundgren movie of all time. Oh, showdown do. in little yes. Tokyo. Yeah, showdown absolutely. Tokyo. I adore that movie. Yes. It's one of my favorite 90s action movies. It's not even 80 minutes long. It's only just over an hour, I think. Um, uh, amazing dialogue, wall-to-wall action. And uh, one of the things that we haven't mentioned about the Anthology is we took a, a change of direction. We did our own day of reckoning, in a way, in uh, season three, and we did forgotten films from the 80s. If we return to that and do the 90s, showdown in little tokyo he's absolutely getting watched by the ornithology and talked about um if yeah it's forgotten films is kind of like the forgotten ornithology season uh which we've we've put to rest but we will re- we will return to it we're not it's not over um and we're going to do dec- a decade at a time when we return to it if we if we're struggling to find an actor for our next season i think we're going to return to forgotten films you know, in between, if, if if that's the case, so that might be that that might be the next season. But I I have I haven't seen Showdown in Little Tokyo, and this is this is one of the things I love about doing this. And I'm not sure, Sean, if you've actually seen already all of Dolph's films before you started this. But I love following actors this oh, way. Yes. You yeah. have already, yeah. 
Uh, one of the things yeah. I'm getting but, at but is... But going back through... Yeah? Yeah, going back through uh, through a retrospective yeah. lens has uh, has been a, been a lot of fun because I'm noticing and seeing uh, new things. Yeah, that's And that's I'm getting points, to see yeah. the guy try... Uh, yeah. I'm getting to see Dolph trying new uh, new things with his career. So you've already and done... I, that I probably didn't pick up on the first time. You've already yeah. done a showdown in yeah, Tokyo it's the first episode I listened to. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I've got, I've got to check it out. I've got, I've got to check it out. Yeah, my audio was not. Yeah, that, that was back. Uh, my audio was not super uh, solid. I think then, I'll, I'll watch it you... and then and then check out your episode. That's what I'll do. Um, yeah. Is that what you recommend to your fans to to watch the film and then listen to the episode? Is that because we we try and get our fans to do that? You know, I that's the first time I've been asked that. I haven't thought about that. Right. Um, I guess when when I watch when I do the recommendation at the end. I guess I kind of do it as okay. If you're listening to this episode, then watch. The I film. see. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully, anyone who listens, you know, all uh, all ten subscribers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that they may have already seen th- these films already, and then they're listening to the episode, and then I imagine maybe going back through and watching it again. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I, I think uh, hopefully the the show can be enjoyed on on either of those fronts, either of those levels. So, and I'm really glad that uh, that the host of the Dolph Lundgren podcast and the hosts of the Keanu Reeves podcast, we can say, yeah. were able to join forces to discuss this uh, this particular film. This was yeah, this was thank a you, Sean. Fun Please, well, yeah, I... we haven't plugged it. Please go and find the Arnithology. That's all you need to look for. Um, have a listen to an episode on a film that that you like, and hopefully, you'll hear us ruin it. And uh, yeah. and do bad impressions yeah, yeah. over the course of an hour. Yeah, it's it's it, that is what it's like. And Sean, I, I'm happy to say it right, right right up front. I don't I don't care if Ben disagrees. I'd love to have you on for for uh, oh, it's Street a, Kings. Yeah, it's That'll done be great. Deal. And yeah, oh great, good, yeah. Because oh cool, yeah. It, this has be been honored. a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's plan it. Well, guys, again, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I will, of course, I would love to join you guys for Street Kings. So when you guys get there, um, this, uh, you know, count me in. And you guys are always welcome back. So if there's ever any films that you guys would like to uh, come back for, um, I'd, I'd love to. Hey, thank you, man. On, okay. Well, I have to say this, Sean. We, some, from time to time, we do bonus episodes. That I'm sure you've noticed that have nothing to do with yeah. our current season. Like we, we did one on the, the Postman. Uh, a while ago, which yeah, I listened to that one. Yeah. That was great. Which right. has a scene from yes. Universal Soldier in it. So that's so cool. It's so cool. I love that yeah. crossover. And we've got this thing we we call at the moment we're calling it the Keanu verse, uh, where we find these little Easter eggs between movies that just you know mess with our heads. And uh, we we used to call it the Cruise verse before when we did the Tom Cruise thing. And so I don't I don't mind like these universes melding and. And stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I think you're going to get me into Dolph movies, and I might be having to make a case for us doing a, f- a few Dolph bonus episodes, actually. Uh, so if you'd be willing to come on for them, it, I think you're you're obviously the the best guest we could possibly have for for any of those films. Uh, maybe maybe oh, I'll man, persuade Ben be to do pleasure. a showdown in Little Tokyo episode if you don't feel that that's uh, uh, taking from you know oh. what you've already done. You know. And you know what I would do is I'd also put it on the feed here. Yeah, on, well, uh, on my we, feed, if that's cool. we'd like to do the same with awesome. this, surely. Oh, cool. No, cool. is yeah. that not well, something we do, Ben? Yeah, totally. Would we not try and put this yeah. episode if you're on? If you happy yeah. to share the edit with us, we'll, we'll put it on our feed for sure. Most definitely. Most definitely. Cool. 
All right, well, guys, this has been a uh, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you very, very much um, to everyone out there who is listening. Please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And until the next day of reckoning, this was Sean, Ben Hyten, and Alex Bolardi, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast. 